We here at the Making Movies is Hard podcast are very happy that the WGA and the AMTPA have come to an agreement, but the SAG After Strike continues. If you would like to help, then please go to SAG After Foundation's Emergency Financial Assistance Program, SAGAFTRA.foundation forward slash donate, and click the link. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell, the founding host of the podcast, and my sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital and DVD, and my short film, Parka, is out on Vimeo right now. Please give it a watch if you haven't seen it yet. I'm Liz Manishaw. I'm a writer, director, producer, has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making another one called Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep and a distribution consultant, and I used to work at Sundance, and I have a short film out now, too. It's called Witchy, and I set a really high bar for views. I'm trying to get 50,000 views, and I'm at 300, <laughs> so anything you could do to get us from 300 to 50,000 would be great. Well, you have more than me. Uh, where I think we're at like one. Last time I checked, we were like one fifty eight or something. Oh, but we decided to go on Vimeo for some reason, which is just what I always do. <laughs> so I feel like Vimeo has a little harder time with views than YouTube. Well, but, but you can hide the you view know. the view count on Vimeo, so not everyone. I to... don't do that though. I let it show. I'm proud of the views <laughs> I have. You know, I am not hiding them. Good. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> well, but this oh, enough of that. We could get into that in a second. But this week we welcome director Karen Bulani on the show to talk about directing his first feature. Thank you for coming, which is his first feature as a director, and it premiered at Toronto International Film Festival at TIFF. After that, we play another round of the game. But first, Alric, how are you doing? I was supposed to do that, right? I was supposed to do yeah, that because it wasn't. I forgot to change. Okay. I forgot to change the name. <laughs> Good, good, good. Little insider humor there. Thanks, BB. So, yeah, I'm doing well. I am uh, living the dream of being a parent to two children, which is a wonderful dream to live. But I'm also writing more. I I think I talked about it last week. Yeah, eight pages. Yeah, but I wrote another uh, three since we've talked. You're in double digits now. I'm doing good. Yeah, doing, doing well. So that's been fun. You know, I don't know if I'll when I'll finish, but at some point, probably. But I wanted, but you know, we both have short films out in the world right now. And I really want to talk to you about that. Cause like, you know, my goal is like 2000 views. <laughs> like I feel like if we get to two or 3000, like, you will. all right, I'll, I'll feel pretty good. That, that's okay. You know, like, I, I mean, I've had films like my, my first film, strange thing. I think it now has somewhere around like 300,000 on, uh, across everything, which is like, Amazing. Incredible. And it's partly because like, we had like 70,000 on Vimeo and then we put it onto a, a popular like CGI YouTube channel that features short films. And then they got us like the majority of our of our views. And we did that with Brother also. And Brother only has like 9,000 on there. But still, I'll take 9,000. That's pretty good, you know. But I really commend you for your goal of 50,000. But I want to talk a little bit about like what you did for your release. Cause like me and my co-director, we had a whole plan and we fought, we like did a bunch of stuff before and like this is the mm-hmm. result. So I'm curious what you did before your release and like how you approached it. I operate much better impulsively than I do when I plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a very impulsive person. So I was supposed to release it today, but yesterday I was like, fuck it. 
also I just wrote up a newsletter and I did a like a list of six facts that are interesting about our film. Like, do you know Phil Rosenthal? Do you mm-hmm. know that name? Like, yeah, I, I, I read I, I read your email and then I also remember when this all happened. You told me the story <laughs> on the podcast about your son, you know, eating the food from. Phil Rosenthal's house, famous for everyone feeds, someone feeds, someone Somebody feed Phil. Feed Phil. Yeah, exactly. Well, so basically you turn every newsletter I do has kind of like an emotional, quirky, too much information aspect to it. So <laughs> yeah. I treated the release of this short with that same kind of tone. And then I created little Canva images to put on Instagram. I tagged a lot of people on Facebook. I emailed cast and crew and I put together a Dropbox folder of festival stills for them to use for promotion. Like this was all in a mad dash yesterday. There was no real plan. I just went like, I got to do everything possible in this 45 minutes because this is all I have. Right. What I would have what I wanted to do, I applied to get on Alter. Alter didn't want the film. Mm. Same. Right. I mean, like there was a few distributors who wanted to release the film, but that's not going to up our YouTube views, you know. So there where was no they, where were they released the film, the distributors? I don't even I'm well right now. I'm in <laughs> talks with Cineverse and Cineverse has something that bloody bloody disgusting runs called Bloody Bites. And it's like a TV show where they put horror wow. shorts and they sent me a contract and they I think we're going to do it, but we don't have a broadcast date. But this is all to say, like what I really wanted was like a really like what happened for you in Strange Thing as I wanted a, a digital channel to release us or even just like a profile on YouTube that has a lot of subscribers. I just wanted yeah. something like that. So right now we're we're so far from my goal of being picked up in that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this like cuz so I have a very like you know specific short film release process which I did on Strange Thing and on all, all my other shorts and basically I try to get as many reviews or articles written about it as possible. Mm-hmm. So I try to email between 50 and 100 blogs and sites to like pitch the movie, which I did with Strange Thing. And one of them, basically the reason why we got so many in the beginning was because one picked us up and like overnight we got like 25,000 views. It's amazing. Which was nuts. It was like this, and they don't even exist anymore, <laughs> but it was like one of these sites where they just like, they had tons of eyeballs on them and you know, I had written out a whole explanation of like what, like about the movie and explaining it. I basically write out like all the details of the movie that makes it special and interesting. And on, on Strange Thing, me and my wife went to a Star Trek convention to like hand out flyers to the movie. And then we got an article written about us on Vulture for that because we were the vulture was there at the Star Trek convention and we were both in Starfleet uniforms and we had our little flyers and my wife even got one in Brent Spiner's hands which was like really cool oh my god <laughs> but yeah we like we did that and and that was for like the Kickstarter I think we were like like trying to get people to like go to the Kickstarter mm-hmm. and then so I wrote that in and I took the, the had the photo from from vulture and like I had it all in there and basically the article got picked up on that site was just basically like everything I had said like regurgitated and like repackaged and then put in this thing and then like with the link and that's what did it you know and so I basically do that every time now it's like I write a whole like explanation that they could basically like you know take copy and paste big portions of it and then just put it into an article and then just like see what happens and so 
you know, that worked well with Strange Thing, but like, you know, a lot of the other shorts, like I've gotten like a handful of reviews. Like I think on Brother, we got like eight or nine, but it only resulted in like a, like 3,000 views on Vimeo. And then with Parka, we've gotten three reviews so far. But it's just the exposure just hasn't really been there, you know, like because like some of these reviews, they don't like link link the movie in the review. They'll just oh. talk about the movie and it's just like a little annoying. But then there are also like review sites that don't necessarily get a ton of, um, you know, eyeballs anyways. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it's really great that they reviewed the movie and that they like check, t- checked it out. But it's like, you know, like I'm basically using that as fuel to like do more posts on social media. But yeah, but it's just a tough game, man. Like to getting views, eyeballs on short films is extremely hard. You said you had 300 hits in one day. We're like three weeks in and we have like 200. So I'm really, you know, it's the thing that I want to do most of all. Right. Like, Mm. like I don't have many hours of my day that I can do any work because we have no childcare and I'm and my husband is working. So I'm with the baby all day. So I'm like holding the baby and then typing with one hand trying to get promotion for this right or doing Instagram posts. But like just you telling me about this, I've created. Let's see. I've created like three different items on my to-do list for tomorrow now. Like I haven't gone to horror blogs at all. I like I could go back to the original reviews during the festival run and see if they'll repost it. I haven't emailed any of the festivals directly to see if they'll post the link. Like you should do that for sure. I did that with strange thing. I haven't done that with Parka because we were a um, a COVID film festival release. And Uh. so like everything was virtual and like, I wasn't the one in contact with the film festivals. It was my co-director. So like that's the thing I could put on her plate to like reach out to all the other her contacts and just say, hey, the movie's out. Can you post on your on your Twitter? Because I did that with all my festivals for Strange Thing and and it helped a a lot, you know. But yeah, it's just hard. I mean, I feel like no matter how hard you work, because we emailed like 100 people between my co-director and I, Marcella. I I emailed 1,400 people. That's how we got to 300 versus 100. Well, no, but not not but not. Yeah, but not like in a blast. I'm talking about oh, like, like individually, indi- okay. individual like blogs and yeah. websites, like pitching okay, a that's movie. A lot. Yeah, so like you know, I I don't have a big fancy email list like you, <laughs> you know. So I, I don't have that going for me yet. I do I do have the ability to start that. I just haven't done that yet. It's okay. But you know, I know it's like what you preach is like the email list. It's like the thing. But anyways, yeah, I don't know. So it's just interesting. But I mean, I I think that you're going to have, you know, probably a better chance of success. I I mean, I don't know. I feel we all have maybe we all have the equal chance of success. But I think like, I don't know. I think if you just I'm really curious and excited to see how you do towards your goal. Because even if you get halfway to your goal, you should be extremely proud of that. Or even even 10,000 hits would be incredible. I think anything over a couple thousand, like you should be incredibly proud of that. I'm proud at 300. I mean, honestly, I just, you know, like I'm hungry for more. And like I haven't even tapped into the witch community like there. We really like had witch consultants on this film. It's called witchy. It's spooky season. We're in October. I have kind of a limit right now. Like after October in three weeks, I'm going to stop promoting. So we'll. You're going to stop promoting in three weeks altogether. Well, it'll be Halloween will be over. It'll. No one wants to watch spooky season in November, do they? I think so. I think people (laughs) want to watch spooky movies all the time, forever and ever and ever and ever. Forever. 
I mean, that's the other thing about short films is they they continue. Like, you know, I got like 15,000 hits on on the strange thing just randomly because somebody reposted it on some popular blog or something. So like those things will just happen, you know, and I feel like continuing to talk about our films is important. So it's like I I get like you're going to have like a push for for press, which I think is good because at some point you can't there's only so much you can give a movie. But like. Yeah, I think we should all be encouraged to continue to talk about our films long into their lives, you know. And we should also be encouraged to go to Patreon and support each other on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash M-M-I-H podcast. It's how we keep the show going. It's how we're allowed to have conversations like this once a week because of everyone's amazing support for the podcast. And it's also how all of you can can listen to our entire back catalog for what is it Ulrich? one ninety nine a month one dollar yeah. and 99 cents a month yeah not two hundred dollars one dollar and 99 cents <laughs> but without any more delay here is Ulrich and eric's chat with karen bulani We're here with director Karan Bulani, the director of Thank You For Coming, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is incredible. Uh, Welcome to the show, Karan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first off, give us the elevator pitch for Thank You For Coming. Thank You For Coming is a story about a girl who's never had an orgasm and she wakes up on the night of her engagement, on the morning of her engagement, knowing that she had one the night before, her first orgasm. But the only problem is she can't remember with who. <laughs> That's if you're um, going one floor up. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> if you're going 10 floors up, it's a story about a girl who's from Delhi, who's a food blogger and, and uh, an influencer. And she is born in a really unconventional setting where her mother decided to have her without getting married. And she grew up with a sense of being incomplete, feeling a little insecure, feeling not so normal. And she made it her life's mission to be normal, which was find the man of her dreams and settle down and do everything that she could to not be her mother. As she starts meeting new suitors through her life and starts getting sexually active, she discovers that she's these men are entering her life and leaving without giving her any pleasure also, physical and emotional. But she holds on to her dream tight until her 32nd birthday where she has an accident and she wakes up or she has this dream, this nightmare where she's at her own funeral and all these ex-boyfriends are there bad-mouthing her. So she says, you know what? True love, screw the fairy tale. It's never going to happen. I'm just going to get married to the next possible guy who I can find. And she says yes to him. And as we go towards this amazing night, which is her engagement, she has she dresses up and she looks fabulous. And she says, tonight I'm going to be the princess of my own fairy tale and it's going to be my night and she invites all her ex-boyfriends to come over and enjoy the party with her and she has the time of her life the night of her life and she feels ecstatic and she wakes up the next morning feeling even better and she discovers that she's had her first orgasm but she can't remember with who and that starts our story (laughs) amazing Roughly about about how many days did you shoot? So we have, uh, we sh- I shot about 37, 36 to 37 days. Why I say half? Wow. Because there was an extra day, yeah. But we have four big song sequences in the film. So we had a lot of uh, uh, choreography and we had to shoot separate music pieces in the film. But wow. yeah, a lot of production then as well? 
Yeah, we did. Uh, no, so it, did you ask how long pre-production? Well, kind of more. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing because of the choreography and everything like that, like you probably had yeah. some extra rehearsal days and just you know getting yeah. all the choreographer uh, choreography down. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of choreography. A lot of there's a lot of music in the film. There's a lot of not just background score, but there's a lot of diegetic music. There's a lot of undiegetic music and sync music, which is feels like there it's a musical. And we rehearse. We have four four choreographs songs in the film so we had to rehearse a couple of days three four days each for, for, for them yeah mm. how many what was the rough budget if you can say it's about somewhere around two million dollars to roughly give or take a couple of hundred grand here and there <laughs> <laughs> and what was what was the origin of the idea so how did this how did this all come about so my wife, who's the producer of the film, met a writer who was coming over to pitch a story and they got talking and she said, you know, I have this other concept, which I've been really wanting to talk about, but I don't think anyone will make it. And it's a story about this girl and she's never had an orgasm and uh, she has this orgasm for the first time, but she can't remember with who. And before we said anything, we all burst out laughing, you know, and <laughs> I found it really funny and curious. And she says, you know... I I I don't think anyone will make it though. And my wife, who's I think so one of the uh, the boldest producers out there, said, "Yeah, I want to make it." You know, because I feel we can talk about a lot of stuff in this. And yeah, that's how it started. And I kind of said to myself that it's really important that we that I don't put my idea of this experience onto them as a director, but just kind of make sure that we have enough momentum in this story and plot to not make it a vagina monologue you know <laughs> that, it, that it would that it would it would it would also be an entertaining film that i could show my friends you know mm-hmm. and my guys and and so yeah so that was my my job to kind of be floating around the outside trying to make sure that they that we were protecting what that i that was trying to protect what we found amazing in the initial bits and also start developing plot and character there are a lot of characters I would say it's like an ensemble piece and then how long did you spend working on the idea like the film from the idea to it like actually coming out like what like when did that whole when did you meet that writer like when did it all happen I think it was 2019 because I remember pre-pandemic this we had this joy with hearing this idea and spent about a year writing it and then the pandemic hit and then we were wanting to cast it and get it made through the pandemic and always remembered that it's just wanted to make it feel like like we could laugh again, you know, <laughs> and uh, started shooting it in 2022. Yeah, 2022, I did principal photography. I started prep around late 21. And we shot, we shot a schedule in March 2022. We took a three-month gap and we shot a schedule in August, September because the lead actor didn't have dates. So mm. we had to be on a hiatus till then. And then I edited it and released it a year later. Now, I feel like we should give some some background, backstory on your career because uh, a lot of our guests that come on, you know, they have this, the the tried and true method of, you know, they, they scrimped and scraped and they were so frustrated and they went out and raised a bunch of money and then they made their film. You've already had a pretty impressive career up until this point. So this is this is your first feature, but I mean you've been you've been working pretty steady for for quite a few years. Yeah. And in fact, one of your one of your first jobs was on uh 24, which was kind of huge. So I kind yeah. of want to bring us up to speed on uh, on your producing career up until now and then what made yeah. the leap into into directing, especially directing features. Yeah. So I I, I mean 
I started working when I was 17. I was scheduled to go to college in, I think it was an American college in Ohio to study business. And my uh, parents were funding me and they, they went through a little financial situation where they couldn't meet the requirements. So I came back and I started kind of was the first time feeling unemployed, you know, because we were going to college in India, but there was a lot of spare time. There wasn't much homework. What school puts you through? So I said, you know, I need a, I need to get a job. And my parents called up their friend who was a textile exporter and said, you know, our son would like to get a job. Do you have a spot available? And he says, yeah, I'm looking for someone. Does he know how to write emails? And I said, yeah, I can, I can use a computer. I know I get a sense of it. He says, good. I need someone because my clients in America, they just need me to write and I'm not very fluent with it. So I said, done, let's do this. And I was so excited that I'm going to get my first job. And so I dressed up on Friday, I remember, and got ready. And I didn't have to ask my parents for any pocket money. And I wasn't a financial, going to be a financial burden to a, to a family that was also going through its own challenges. Uh, so I got ready and I came to the breakfast table and my mom told me that, you know, oh, there's a, there's a little change in our plan. We're going to go Monday uh, because he's fallen sick. He's fallen ill. He's got a stomach upset and he's not going to come to the office today. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't take it. I was heartbroken. <laughs> I just, I was so impatient. I felt, you know, I need to be put to some use. So I said, you know, I don't care. I'm getting a job today. Whatever it takes, I'm getting a job today. And <laughs> and you, I called up all my friends. I called up my father's friends. And I said, is there anything that I can do? Any place that I can be in your office? And nobody responded really. But one of my dad's friends said, there's a, there's a producer I know. Do you like films? And I said, yeah, of course. I, I watch films. You know, I know films. But I had no interest in films, you know. <laughs> and he said, just go meet him. He's, he'll, he'll, he'll find something for you to do. So I go there and I meet and I kind of go there, uh, reach this, reach the office downstairs there. And I'm dressed up, you know, I'm 17 years old and I've worn a half sleeve shirt and jeans. And, and I enter the office and there are a bunch of young professionals sitting down my age, you know, in the lobby of this, this little office with there's a secretary. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm here to meet so-and-so, you know, he's, he's my, uh, an associate's friend and I've come to meet him. And they said, uh, yeah, but it's going to take a while. Why don't you have a seat? And I said, okay, sure. I'll sit down. And I see, look around me and I see all these kids my age, you know, like they're 18, 19, there's boys and girls sitting there. And I would see them get up and go into this room, right? Like this door would open. It was like what I know today is like a sound room, a sound door where you'd have the old school circle and, you know, the, the moisture, demoisturizing stuff inside there. <laughs> and I would see them stand there and start like a light would be on them and they were just talking. And I said, what is going on here? And I went back to the secretary and I said, listen, I need to meet so-and-so. You don't, you know, I'm not here for whatever this is. And they said, no, no, no just have a seat. Don't worry. Somebody will call you in and they'll, they'll get you in there. And this is, I'm talking 2001, right? There's pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-seeing any making off of anything. You, I mean, there's barely anything out there of how a film set runs until you actually go and see it. And I go there and the guy walks out and he's, and he says, who's next? And I said, I guess it's been, I'm next. And I walk in and I see that these two big lights are on me. And he, hands me a, he hands me a slate and I'm like, and he said, just write your name and contact number on that and your height. And I said, what is this? And he says, yeah, it's just, just relax. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's it'll be over quick. 
And I'm now thinking, in hell, I've got to, this is a new way of getting a job. You, you like, you, you stand in front of the camera and you recite your resume, right? And this dude, producer, whoever he is, is going to watch them. And I've got to impress him like that. And I, and I, and I stood there in these big lights and they shot it. And I started talking and says, tell me about yourself. And I said, I'm so-and-so I come from here and there. These are my hobbies. And I'm, and I'm panicking, I'm sweating. And I'm feeling intimidated. I'm feeling violated. And he says, uh, profiles. And I'm like, what are those? And he says, look there. And I look there. And he says, look there. And I look there. <laughs> and he says, give me. And I said, listen, I need to meet him. He says, don't worry. He'll see this. He'll see it and he'll call you. And now I go out and I'm like, man, what just happened? You know? <laughs> So I go back to the payphone and I call my dad's friend and I said, listen, they've put me on camera. How could they do that? How could they do that? Like they didn't ask me also for my permission, you know, because I mean, this is an era where a camera is a big thing, you know, and I come back in and I'm now, now I am a disgruntled model slash talent <laughs> actor who's saying, I don't care. I ain't leaving till I meet this guy. <laughs> and he, and to my and with all the chaos I was causing, he walks down and he he's a really big guy. He's six foot four and he's like he's like a beast of a man, you know. And he says, Are you so and so's friend? And I say, Yeah, I am. And he says, What are you doing? So I said, Nothing. I wanted to meet you. I've been waiting. They put me on camera. He says, What are you why? So he says, Come here. And he takes me into the room and he says, and he tells the guy who took my audition, he's with you now. So now I'm the guy who's giving the next model the slate <laughs> and saying, you write your name and contact. Yeah. <laughs> and that for me was the first time I was like, okay, I get this. So I'm standing behind now, right? And watching these, these kids, these people come in front of the camera. And I'm saying, I was shitting bricks doing this, right? <laughs> but these people are, this one's hiding it really well. <laughs> you know, or this one's... <laughs> This one is is like something special. It feels like they're just floating. And that was my first education, you know? I mean, from then on, it was, I was an assistant. I was making showreels for other directors. We had a umatic section there where we had a list of directors in this production company. So we would do, I would do everything. I would take the auditions. We would get the props. We would, we would do it and then be an AD on set. It was a really tight shift because this production company was, was renowned for doing the jobs that nobody else could do or could make in that budget. And they kind of felt this pride about it, you know? So, so we did everything, you know, and I got to travel the world and I spent about four years. I did about 600 commercials Wow! shooting wow. all over the world. Yeah. I, it was, a it was a, a really enriching experience because I was so low on, on direction and so, uh, so disappointed with the way I didn't get to go to college that I just needed to find some validation somewhere. And I went deep into this, you know, into 18 hours, 20 hours of work. I, I was like smoking cigarettes all the time, <laughs> advertising, the advertising business, coffee, and, you know. And yeah, and, wow. and then I reached a stage of saturation where I was guided by a couple of really good directors that told me, you know, you really shoot, like whenever we used to go to do location scouts, they would send me because they would be like, you know how to click a, a location well, you know, because you just click one angle wrong and nobody wants to go on that 
scout you know how much ever you tell them so so he, he said look you know you you get it you get certain and i had no idea what he's talking about like perspective <laughs> you know like okay you you get it like you you know where to put the the camera to make something look appealing you know uh, you know where to go to make it okay if you're looking for a really junky dumpy art place you know how to find that shot that says it you know he i remember he was a french director and lives in australia and he told me this and i said okay cool you know it didn't really make any difference to me and then i kind of kept working and and we 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 reached a state where it had become autopilot everything was was like okay you knew how where everything was going what what was going to go wrong way before it went wrong you know and it started to give me a sense of anxiety that i could see i would know that something would go wrong <laughs> and nobody would listen to me you know classic <laughs> production unit production manager assistant director <laughs> and i said, and 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 i and i always felt that you know this is not a comfortable place to be you know and so the directors that i worked under always guided me and said you know you should watch this film you should watch that film and you should watch this ad you should watch this ad by this director and and the classics you know where you you listen to wonkar you watch wonkar why you watch uh, uh, you know grow up on in the mood for love and you're just like what is this you know you grow up on aliandro gonzalez's work where he did the first film where he did the three multiple stories ameros peros uh-huh red white and, blue yeah and I, yeah and i started to listen to the that's the first comment one of the first commentaries i heard and he was talking about how gael garcia bernal's eyes were like a like a wolf you know and that's what he got attracted to and i was just be like but how do you how do you that's the decision that you make that you that you would say you found his eyes like a wolf and i was like is that a, is that is that a good thing is that a bad thing you know so <laughs> i started to started to ask questions that no producer <laughs> who i was working under was excited about and <laughs> and i took some and i had to take you know and then i said okay you know maybe i want to learn about this craft you know so i did a little research and and i applied to a bunch of colleges and i got admitted into one because i while working i did my college degree in india so i could use that college degree to get into a masters program instead of doing an undergrad program again because i was 22 23 and i went to australia and we did a did a masters program where we got to use got to work with crews got to work shoot films got to exposed to all the international cinema i had a phenomenal uh, professor who really opened my eyes to filmmaking and 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 what that process was like and then i came back to india in 2006 and i had these scripts that i would that i had written in college and i took them around to all the producers you know to meet them and i was so optimistic and i was so full of hope and so full of this idea that now i've arrived you know that i i can i'm not an i'm not an assistant director anymore i'm a director now i can i have something to say and people will listen and and i just i wrote these scripts and nobody reacted to me you know nobody reacted for months and i said you know what okay screw it you know i'm casavitis i'll just shoot my own film you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and i picked up my friends my friend had a camera he had a one of those sony x300 old school digital big ones you know where mm. the flip screen had just come out and you know you could go low and <laughs> yeah and, and i took it 
I took it and I shot this documentary, you know, which, which, which when I came back, I realized that there is a person that comes home to give you a massage, right? In India, it's called a malish. Like you, 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 and, and I would notice my grandfather would sit and talk to this man about stuff. He wouldn't tell us like where he came from and how, like, because you're in such proximity to him. And I felt that, and they were from a certain class and from a certain different world coming into a, into a home in, in a city, you know, and you, you just take your t-shirt off and you're there in front of this person, you know, and, but you don't let the police into your house. You say, hold on, wait outside. I'll, I'll let me check. <laughs> so this person had a lot of, a lot of wealth of exposure and information, although was 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 making a very very limited amount of money or limited amount of of resources you know but yet has access so i made a film around that and i tried to put it into festivals and i and i said you know i'll support myself and i was living at home with my parents and and i would assist in direct on 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 ads just so that i could make my films and uh, but i made this film and i cut it and i put it together and i went to try to sell it i said okay now at least i, I remember spending i spent about 3000 dollars on it on making this film over over a span of 6 months and i said maybe i can now make 6000 dollars so that i can make another film right and and i couldn't find anywhere to sell it you know i just couldn't find so i went to the indian documentary producers association which was like this a body of these really old dudes you know and i was like i have made a film can you can you help me with this and they said yeah 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 just come on sunday morning at uh, 10 a.m to this hotel and you know it's really important that you be there <laughs> and i said cool am i a member what's going on he said yeah yeah just sign here and you're in and i reached Uh-oh. there and i discovered that i was a part of it they put me on the board because one of the guys wanted to <laughs> overthrow another guy and i became a part of this political milieu <laughs> and i said i just want to i just want to sell this film and make another film you know <laughs> just a filmmaker <laughs> man i don't want to get yeah. into your politics yeah. but i guess you got to get into that as well if you want to learn anything you know <laughs> and then i realized you know it's hard and i said okay let me i needed to support myself i needed to make more films so i said okay let me try being an assistant director in in movies you know and i learned under someone who had assisted who had assisted shekhar kapoor and who had assisted they made a very i forget in forgetting the name in calcutta a very big even gandhi they had helped you know there is this american style of being a first where you have a first second 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 and a third mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in india it was very different you would have a director and 10 assistants <laughs> yeah. without any wow. <laughs> and everybody had to do everything you know yeah. Yeah. from <laughs> you would be in script readings you would be in so so everyone was because everybody wanted to be a filmmaker and the system wasn't as powerful as the access that you had to people so when i started being an assistant i kind of got into the american style which was first second 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 mm. and creating day out of days there were no day out of days until i would say maybe you know 20 years ago you know wow. there was in a wow. concept of it and we were one of the first people to use movie magic and and, and kind of understand wow. it and put order into this into this chaos 
you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and and then yeah, just been assisting on films. I assisted on one film. Somebody recommended me for another film and another film, and then I kind of said, you know, now I'm burnt out completely, man. Like I I can't assist anymore. I can't I can't do this because and it's, and the cinematographer that shot my film is a very famous cinematographer. Told me that you got to stop being an assistant if you need to be a director. And he said something, you know, like you you as an assistant director, you kind of have to take you got to take these words and emotions and put a mathematical equation to it, you know. And with a director, it's the reverse. You know, you take the mathematical equation of budget and 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 days and everything and start making it emotional. You know, so so it, in 2010, I said, okay, I'm going to stop. And I was offered, I think, more money than I could ever think of as an assistant director at that time. It was so it was so ironic, you know. And I had to say no to that. And that was 2010. And then I just didn't get any work for like about three years, four years, because it's like you're now starting business. You're starting in a new country, it felt like, you know, it felt like whatever I had done in the past had no relevance to what I was just about to do, you know, and 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 then I started to write. And you it's so tricky when you're writing because you're just writing and then someone reads it <laughs> and it changes, you know. And yeah. and yeah, and so then I started get then I got one I got a few commercials to direct, which led to keeping me keeping me sane and keeping me uh, afloat. And twenty four happened, season one happened, where I was just around trying to get in because I loved the original. You know, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And then season two happened, and the director fell ill. The primary director fell ill, and he no, not fell ill. Sorry, he had a scheduling issue because he had to go on to another show. And this had come in director day, you know, just till he fills fills in, and I ended up doing a hundred and twenty two days of shoot you know wow. just because I, I mean i didn't have any day of prep <laughs> you know i just came oh, in wow. and said and it was this 24 is this is this is like a producer and a scheduling nightmare because sure. you may the, the terrorist or the bad guy's den is probably in season in episode one and it's also in episode 18 you know so you've got to commit to a lot of stuff uh pretty early on and the system really runs it so so you you kind of get into that mold you know but I was surrounded by good crew, good actors, so it kind of helped me learn. And just being on the on a on a set as a director is the only thing that keeps you, makes you believe you are one, you know. Mm. And I was lucky to got to get that. That's a really key moment for you, right? To to suddenly get to fill in on one day on this huge show and then end up directing like a whole season, basically. But like. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean when you said hanging around? Like, like what were you doing? Like, did you make friends with some of the crew? Like, were you just going to the studio? Like, how did you kind of get yourself in the position where you were thought of to be a replacement? Yeah. So the the lead, Anil Kapoor, uh, who produced my film now, I also directed some ads with him, some television wow. commercials with him. I was the first AD for a film that he, uh, that my now current wife produced at that time. So we were friends. So it was just me being there and saying, look, I would like to do this. I would love to do this. This is my work. This is the stuff that I'm doing. But I feel it's always scary for somebody who knows somebody to recommend them. You know, it's mm -hmm. because then it's responsibility and stuff. So, yeah, it's I, it's a lot of it, it's 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 not like I'm not a writer. So 
I'm not I'm not writing stuff that I'm saying I've got to get made, you know, and then figuring out how to make it. I'm a director primarily and I and I know how to run the film. I'll give you the film, you know. I have scripts that I've written which I would be making soon, but at that time I was just trying to get something with my name on it, you know, just so that you could take your script and say I made that. I can make this, you know. And yeah, that was that was it, you know, just making sure that you are sitting there and 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 being stubborn and being <laughs> and being a pain really to yeah. certain people because it's not it's not a it's not a logical way to it, you know. It is it is you such know? a strange profession when you stop and think about it. It's just like what do you what do you make and do? Like, ah, oh, I have people yeah. put on makeup and we play pretend and then I record it and we sell it. Like it's, yeah. it's so bizarre. But what's so yeah. odd is listening to your pathway to get here. So it's like you've got documentary under your belt, you've got commercials under your belt, you have twenty four, which people who don't know twenty four, first off, you've been living under a rock, twenty four. Come on. Yeah. yeah. But that is such a heavy action uh, series that you were just moving the entire time. And then this film sounds like such a departure from all of that. So why did you land on this one? Be like, oh, that's the story that we're going to tell. So my the right the stuff that I write is closer to this. It's a little bit more. It's more comedic. It's more romantic. It's more emotional, you know, than the stuff like Selection Day. The show I made in between twenty four and the film is closer to that, which is on Netflix. But I, it's it, you know, when I first started to make a film in two thousand and ten, my I was ready to go. It's a story about six kids from different parts of India that end up in the same college in America, and I. We were one month away from shooting and the dollar price went up from 45 rupees to the dollar to 60 rupees or to 58 rupees to the dollar wow. in a span of 15 days. And wow. an already really, really tight budget, an independent style film with six new kids from different parts of India. We shooting in the in the University of Indiana at Bloomington. Oh, they wow. gave it to us. I got uh, our producer to do some appearances, to do some talks so that they would waive the fee off. We got, I, I went and I begged A.R. Rahman, who was at that time, had just won the Oscar for Slumdog to do the music for the film. And I kind of just lurked around LA, uh, his house. I literally stayed opposite his house, you know, <laughs> uh, in somebody else's, like I took up like a, it was like a PG, you know, where someone was renting <laughs> out a bed literally. And I said, I'm not leaving till you, till you sign it, you know? And then that, that kind of got me to the next year where I said, okay, let me try this again now. And we kind of readjusted the budget to help us. We redesigned the, the, the scale of the film. I said, I'll cheat some stuff in India so that we would save the cost. And we reached there and I'm in America with a, with the same cast, with the same crew that I had the year before. I had begged them to kind of stay on. And we had this short window, which was really fall, so that the college looks really beautiful and, and also kind of catches the students coming in. So you would have, you could get big shots without really having to pay for them. And that we were there and the studio that was funding us pulled the plug. This was wow. a week away from shooting. And I had held on to my cast and my crew and everybody. The next year I say, you know what? let's go to Canada and make it in Canada. We'll cheat American flags there, you know, and we'll shoot maybe two days in New York. 
you know, just so that we can get our big shots and the rest of the college is anyway in the middle of nowhere. Could we maintain it? Could be in somewhere up in uh, down in Mississauga, you know, northern Ontario somewhere. And we get this funder now who's really excited and he's from Canada and he's an Indian businessman and he loves the script and he really wants to do it because he believes that Indian diaspora and Canada will love the film. And I go there and I meet him and he puts me in touch with his crew and we recce the whole place. I fly to to. I take the red eye flight to meet Rehman, who is in LA. I find out he's in LA and I just take the flight and I'm outside his door. And uh, <laughs> I spend some time with him and I go back and and the the, the unit production uh, or the kind of team that was helping me in Canada was supposed to meet me at the airport and we were supposed to drive to, to look at some more colleges. And nobody's there. And I call up, call them up and nobody picks up. So I take the cab to the nearest Holiday Inn and I check in and there's no reservation for me. So I just check it in and I say, okay, maybe they forgot. And I email them and I say, okay, hopefully next morning they'll show up. And I'm now sitting in the Holiday Inn and nobody's answering my calls. Nobody's returning my messages. And this is someone a big producer had put us in touch with. So I call the producer and I say, look, this is what's happening. I'm here. It's been 40, been 24 hours. 48 hours has something happened did did some it felt like something had happened you know and they said no no let me let me let me call him and i'll get back to you and he says oh he's not picking up my call as well so i said okay maybe give it another day and now i'm just waiting in 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 a holiday in in in, in outside in the outskirts of toronto for this guy to pick up and we're supposed to be filming in another three months and so the producer flies down to Canada on my request. And I say, please, could you come here and help me with this? Because you were the introduction to it. And he says, okay, I'll I'll do it for you. And he flew down and he said, okay, well, he's picked up my phone. He wants to meet us tomorrow. So we drive down into this beautiful, big gated community. And I sit down there and I remember it was a, it was Thanksgiving, I think so at this time. And, and uh, he had a beautiful spread of Indian food on the table <laughs> and he sits down and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, there was stuff that was going on and I had work and things were, you know, how it is and all, but yeah, let's sit and let's discuss. And he had this big house with these staircases and I could see somebody coming down the staircases and he came and sat right next to me, which was his son. And he says, Hey man, you know, so I love this character, the protagonist name in the script was Clint. And he says, I love Clint. So, so how are we going to do this? And I said, do what? So he says, yeah, no, like, what do you think I should wear? And you know, what do you think should be my vibe? <laughs> and I said, uh, and my, the producer put us in touch, kind of, it clicked what was happening, you know, <laughs> and was kicking me under the table saying, don't say anything, don't say anything. <laughs> and I just had to keep my mouth shut and absorb all that, you know, and kind of went out and said, I'm not making the film like this. You know, I'm not going to make it with, with somebody who is not right for the part. You know, I, I'd wait. I'd wait for that because I know and I've seen it that you get one shot sometimes, you know, and you just want to know that you gave everything you could for that, you know. So it was a heartbreaking call, but uh, I think it may have paid off at the end. Who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. You know. So did that movie ever get made or... No, so that movie is so strange that the Netflix came to India. They've been wanting to make it. They've been excited, but I was busy making a show and now this film and now I'm probably going to shift gears and go back and make that film. Oh, I need wow. to get it out of Amazing. my system. I have to get <laughs> yeah. it out of my system. It's it's wow. like a vendetta now, you know, um, <laughs> which a lot of my friends who are also first, second time filmmakers who 
so many of them have you know never made the film they want to make as their first film you make yeah. the film you get you make the film that you can make as your first film you know mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but i held on to that a little longer than i maybe should have you know because i felt like i want to make this you know but i, I it's life yeah was that before selection day or yeah. after this that is was before this is way before this is i'm saying this is 2009 10 oh wow started oh before 24 wow yeah 24 was 2016 selection day was 2018 you know this is and thank you is 2023 you know wow so it's a it's like i i have friends who've been filmmakers who've just at 26 written a script and got it made you know and it's been a raging success and i have friends who are still trying to get shit made you know so it's never i mean from my experience it's never a there's never a set way you know a lot of things have to align you know besides your hard work and passion and effort and it's it's sometimes i feel the film chooses you you know you don't you don't really say this is what i'm going to make unless you're i don't know tarantino or atom or someone you know well i have so many questions but we're we're already a little short on time but i want to ask one last question about thank you for coming so yeah. you know you made this movie on like a pretty low budget for the the size and spectacle that this movie is with all the dance sequences and everything but i want to hear about like when it was done like how did you position to get it out in the world? Did you just submit it to all the film festivals? Did you know that you wanted to premiere at TIFF? Like, how did you figure out how to get the movie out to festivals? So we we have a studio that's partnered with us, who supported us in this film. And I don't know who would make a, put money into a film like this besides them, because it's guts, you know? And when we made it, it had, I think it kind of, a lot of the people who watched it said, you know, it's so much more than what it says it is which is is that it kind of starts talking about the what does it feel like to be a woman in her late 20s early 30s who's single you know and the kind of pressure she has about just i mean she's not doing anything wrong and she's made to feel a lot of shame and guilt for just existing this way and and i said yeah because for me it was more metaphorical the orgasm than real than literal you know that that you all that there is this this system that we are kind of stuck under this patriarchal system you know men and women mm-hmm. and it's not just women and but men as well so once we had that kind of rhythm to it and that kind of texture to it is when we said you know this needs this needs people to watch it and start talking about it before we release it in a in india because india is a really tough market for something like this and we had to go theatrical so i remember just applying to one festival uh, actually two i applied to venice and toronto because of the the release pattern that we had they had planned that saying we want to release around this time and i said maybe we can use the push and i put it in there and i usually send a lot of my fe- films from from college to festivals just so that i you know you can get a chance to get it seen and they i kept following up with them but there wasn't any response and i kind of had given up on it also in a way it's a comedy you know which is saying a lot of stuff but it's still a comedy you know but it, but but i remember bros had released had, had hit the festival last year mm-hmm. and that made me feel really really confident that maybe they would see some something <laughs> stupid in this too which is great <laughs> and, <laughs> and i love that film but 
and then I got written back. They're saying they really love the film. It was saying a lot of things that they wanted to 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 talk about, and and really curious to know how we made this. And that got talking, and and then we said, okay, we can maybe take our cast and create a PR exercise out of it, mm. which which really helped the festival also, knowing that there weren't so many uh, Hollywood stars there this time. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I'm curious about. I feel like filmmakers right now, especially for for people who are working at at kind of your level here in America, I feel for the last 15 years, we have been stranded on superhero island. That's all we're doing. We're just spending all the money on superheroes. Yeah. I am curious because, you know... uh, in India, do you feel that there's there is more room to spa- to to move out? Is there different IP that's being used? Because I mean, RRR, you know, had a huge run over here, and I know we were a little behind. So like that that was bigger in India, like a few years back. But I mean, that was really it was just you know the story of these two buddies, and it was like oh, it was so refreshing to have you know a film like that that didn't like nobody had a cape on. Now, granted, you know mm. that one dude yeah. was pretty jacked and he's super yeah. Yeah. But it still felt like more of a, a grounded, more realistic story. Do you think that there is more latitude for stories in India right now? Or is there a, you know, we're trying to figure out the next big thing in order to keep the lights on? So, yeah, the biggest films this year have been films with heroes in them, with actors in them that are 55 years old plus. Mm-hmm. And they're really big. They're your big films, you know, mm-hmm. that have done really well. But there's also been a few really small films that have done really well. You know, there's been this little film called Kantara. There is this little film coming from South of India that have kind of connected with the whole of India. And that's given hope to a lot of filmmakers that, yeah, you can find that without having to go and make sure you have the biggest star cast and stuff like that. What I found, I mean, our film released, Thank You For Coming is released on the 6th of October. And it's a it's a really tough film to release here. It's an, it's got an A certificate from the censor board because of the of the subject. It's led by a female protagonist, which isn't a really strong uh, box office kind of space to be in. But what what, what I've noticed since since Friday till today we're in Tuesday is that there is word of mouth of a film the the way people convince each other has become so much more valuable than how let's say the regular marketing devices of you know are used. So we're seeing the same number that we had on Friday, right? On our opening day, on a Monday and a Tuesday as wow. well. So it's 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 a narrow film. It isn't a very big film. It's a really small film in terms of, you know, the scale of films that are made here. But it's got a big idea. And I think if that kind of picks up, you have an audience coming to the cinema that would naturally want to sit at home and watch this film, which they know is going to happen in six weeks or eight weeks, mm-hmm. you know? So, so... What is it that what is that thing that brings a particular audience out to the cinema back in is a sense Mm -hmm. of of collectively experiencing something. There are some films that are so much better watched with people together, you know, than watching it alone. And there's some which are perfect. Like I find it's maybe a personal thing, but I find thrillers and mysteries so much fun to watch alone. It's like picking up a really nice mystery book and, you know, but a comedy is so tough to watch alone. You know, you, you get so distracted, but if you laugh together, it's contagious. And that's what you have, you know, because this isn't an IMAX film. It isn't a cinematic spectacle. So Mm -hmm. I think it's also how you, each genre, each film has its, 
has its calling cards, you know, to the cinema. And I think you've got to kind of sharpen those more as a hopeful thing, you know, for smaller films. For the bigger films, you know, you're going to be playing with 7.1. You're going to shoot it on IMAX. You're going to get somebody who's going to jump off a building. You know, they're going to win. So uh, those are there. But I, 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 I'm always hopeful about this experience because, because you, you do have, like we've noticed with this film, there are groups of girls going to watch it. They, they, the, the, the distribution has called us and told us that we're getting bookings of 10 and 15 at a time. We're not getting bookings of two or four, you know, which would naturally <laughs> be the pattern in cinema. We're getting, we're not, it's growing, but it's, it's growing. They're like 20 girls that are getting together and saying, let's go watch it together. That I think is something that you can always bank on, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really cool. That's amazing. All right. Well, I think it's time to get to our last, last series of questions. I'll go first. Yeah. What's the first film you made and how do you feel about it now? And and this could be anything. This could be like the sh- a short film you made at home, a little, or it could be your first feature, like whatever, however you want to answer it. Yeah. The first film I made was a film which was with my location manager and me. We were fooling around in a location that we had and we shot like a Nosferatu style shadow impression of us walking through this abandoned house. And <laughs> it we would always shoot video, right? But then we started because the place was lit really noir style and a little bit, you know, a German experimental film style. But when I put music on it, it kind of just lifted and I felt I made a film, you know, and I, I never forget it. I love it. It's it's a total piece of trash, but I love it, <laughs> you know, and I, <laughs> yeah. What is the best filmmaking advice you have ever gotten? The best filmmaking advice I have ever got is just get it to the edit table. Mm. Just get it, get it to the edit table, whatever it is. Wow. Awesome. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? Mm, the worst filmmaking advice I ever received was probably don't jump into something that you're not sure of. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's unique. <laughs> Yeah, I think you got to, if if it's if it's a movie or if it's a documentary, you're never sure of it. You know, I think it's a it's a living organic, it's a living experience that you're constantly at, you know, that that you're unsure and you're sure and then you're unsure and then you're sure and then you just get it done, you know, and then you know what it is, <laughs> whether you're sure or not. You know, yeah. So a lot of the times people would, I mean, if you have the luxury to think about something, it's it's good, but don't overthink. <laughs> what, uh, do you have any goals, a specific goal as a filmmaker? To just make a living making movies. I think that's, that's, that's the goal, you know, that you can, you can, you can live, you can pay rent, you can educate your kids, you can. If your parents fall ill, you can take care of them and make movies at the same time. You know, I think that's the goal. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice that you would give yourself? That everything you have is already in you. You don't need something from the outside. You know, you don't need. Yeah, I think you you have it in you. Mm. Wow. Uh, and of course, our final question is making movies hard. Making movies is I wouldn't know because that's all I've been doing since 17. But <laughs> I think it is the most hardest thing, I would assume. It is the most hardest thing other than going to space. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And the thing is that that each stage of it gets harder, which is the best part. The first time making something is impossible. Then once you've got success and trying to maintain that success is impossible. And then the third is that when nobody wants to, because they think you're a washed out person and you've said everything you need to say, trying to get the film started there is also impossible. But you yet figure a way out, you know? And, and I think some of my friends, at least, who have been relatively successful in commercial filmmaking are the ones that are the best hustlers I know. That they know how to pick a lock. They know how to convince somebody to put all that money on 120 or 100 or 80 page pieces of pages of paper. You know, that's it. <laughs> so it's it's impossible. It's not hard. It should be it's impossible, but yet we do it. <laughs> you know, that's the that's the that's the fun of it. That's the that's the that's there's I think the validation and the 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 feeling you get like when I first I remember putting that piece of music onto my first film I think it was Bach or something that I put on thinking it was like really deep and stuff you know and and uh, 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 and it was just like this this thing that we cut on premiere and it was just very simple and it had this shadow that was dancing around but when we put the music there we felt that we had something that we that language could not say that that you know maybe i haven't been able to communicate for 4 years with my location manager who i've been working with every day but it it just kind of came together and it felt good so it's i think it's it, it's worth something reaching the end you know always is is uh, if they're young young filmmakers starting out and are and are you know people keep saying you know you got a phone you can make a film but it's mm. it's so much more complicated than that it's so much more so it that's not the the issue the issue is what will people think about my film what will people think about what i made what will will this work will am i good enough those are the parts that i think are the are the hard parts you know those are the really really exhausting parts and i don't think they they i mean i speak to people who are senior to me as well they don't go they become they multiply you know because if that goes then you're then you're then you're on autopilot then you're you're a machine you know so the the fact that you it's so hard and it's so impossible is what it is you know it isn't uh, it isn't anything else at least you know because i mean i remember when i was in college the the first line of the david bordwell and thompson book was every filmmaker needs an entire bank and an army but he's never going to get it so <laughs> it's, so just uh, just hustle it out it's 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 impossible but yet you do it that's the best part wow amazing so last question where can people find your movie how can they support you this is going to come out on monday the 16th so i don't know if it'll be on netflix yet or anything it's on it's in it's in cinemas right now in america in canada in australia in germany in wow. england all over india it's a limited release it's 500 screens but it's in theaters it's got really good reviews it's a, a small film with a big idea and it should be on netflix in about eight weeks from now awesome that's amazing but buy the ticket guys <laughs> 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 That's what makes it possible. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Arik, what do you give me like one takeaway from your from your chat with Karen? Yeah, he was really interesting because like he basically started as a PA, you know, just like, you know, at 17, you know, like was in college, couldn't continue with his college for whatever reason. And then ended up, you know, wanting to work and like wanting a job really bad. And then he, that's how he kind of got his way into the industry. And I won't ruin the story because the story of how he ended up in film and how like I want a job to becoming, you know, getting into the film industry is like an incredible story. It's just Ooh. it's delightful. Ooh. So <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. But yeah, and then he basically his first thing he ever directed was 24 India, (laughs) which is like ridiculous to like go from never directing anything before. Like, like not like like he had one documentary that he had made, but like pretty much everything else, like he was an assistant director and like a producer and working on commercials. And like, I think he had directed a couple commercials, but like his first like narrative directing thing was 24 India. And like, even that story is pretty incredible. Like how he got that. So like, it's a really interesting story to, to hear like how he got going as a filmmaker. And, you know, of course, you know, everyone thinks that it's like, it's an overnight success story, but like that was in 2016. And like, he basically like come out of, of his, cause he went to, to get a master's degree um, in film, I think around 2006, 2007, it was 2006. And so then he came back and he was like, all right, <laughs> I'm ready to like be a director. Like I've already assistant directed and done all these commercial stuff. Like I want to be a director now. And then it's like 10 years before he gets his, his, his big break. So like, it seems like if you look at his IMDb, like it was just an overnight thing. Like he went from zero to 60, but it really did take a long time for him to get there. But yeah, it's just a really great story about like, you know, focusing on the thing that you love and then claiming that thing. So like, if you want to be a director, like don't be an assistant director anymore, because if you keep on assistant directing, no one's going to look at you as a director. So, you know, just do the thing that you want to do and go after that and focus and then success, success will come. So I guess that's my biggest takeaway from, Mm. from our conversation. It was delightful, really fun. Well, let's jump into something else that's very fun. The game. Do you want to do it? The game. So much better. All right. So what is the game? The game is a hand-spun, homemade, completely imagined from Eric Toms' brain. It's a game that we play once a week where Eric Toms, our producer, sets us up with a hypothetical indie film scenario. We read it blind on the show. We put one of us in the hot seat. Alric's in the hot seat today. And he tells us exactly how he would solve this indie film quandary. And here it is. All right, Alric, you're in post after a very long, very difficult production. In pre-production, you were blessed with a producer 
who had brought in a lot of financing. Your original plan was to shoot all of your special effects practically, though problems arose and the producer left the project taking the financing with them. Crew members told you that the effects could be fixed in post using CGI and Unreal Engine, so you filmed accordingly. However, now that you're in post and you've seen the effects, they look terrible. You are exhausted and the money has run out. Do you, A, deliver their film with terrible CGI effects knowing they will distract from the acting and cinematography? B, try to raise more money so you can go back and shoot the special effects properly knowing this will take a lot more time and money? C, cut the CGI and deliver a movie that is very, very short and makes a lot less sense? D, other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Yeah, I love this question. I just that's why I was giggling is because I love it. And because I feel like that 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 what you, what Eric put in the question is exactly what people will say. Like, yeah, just fix it with, fix it with VFX. And yeah, the Unreal Engine. Yeah, that'll solve all your problems. And I so I for some context, I recently produced a series, two series, actually, of uh, complete 100 percent 3D commercials, photorealistic 3D commercials. So I know exactly like how much work goes into creating just 15 to 30 seconds of like photorealistic imagery. And, and mind you, without humans, like this is just like like a room. But just to make a room that looks the photo real is like it is nutty, you know, but like if you get to that level, you can pull off some really incredible stuff. But like it has to be done with so much thought and and process like in the filming stage of it. Like you can't just like take like what was going to be a practical effect and just like make it a, a visual a 3D one, you know. Right. But like I, I am for. Like, basically, I would never let myself be in a situation. But if I was in the situation, I'm, I'm going to answer it like I was in, the, in this situation, because I think I, I have a good solve for that, too. I basically would do other. So the other would be you trim as much of the of the effect out as possible and use as much of the performance that you possibly can to make this sell and work. And then you take just the little bit of CGI that you need and you hold the movie for as long as fucking possible to make that visual effect work. Because through the wonderful, amazing community of blender artists and 3D artists and visual effects artists around the globe for not that much money and like a lot of time and patience, you can do amazing things. Like, I don't know if you if you're familiar with Kung Fury, but Kung Fury is a short film that was made long time ago i think probably like 2012 or 11 and it's this guy i can't remember what country he was from it's like sweden or something he shot it all in his garage all on green screens with treadmills and basically he 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 he, um crowdsourced the visual effects from artists all over the world and what he was able to make was like actually pretty damn impressive. And then when he like did his Kickstarter, like the, people were so impressed by the Kickstarter of clips that he did and just the little bit of visual effects he was able to do with his little his team on his own. And they loved the concept so much. I think he asked for like two hundred thousand dollars. No, no, it wasn't even that much. It was maybe like a hundred thousand dollars. He ended up raising one point two million dollars on Kickstarter oh for this short film. And then like he basically took all that money and like made it look incredible, you know, and really went nuts with, with the, uh, with the visual effects. So my point is 
that like if you take your time and you're patient and you're willing to really fine tune things and and find the right artist to do the right shots or whatever and be really smart and selective with your visual effects work you can pull off some really incredible stuff and i think as long as you take out the time equation from it like you can do a lot of things so and and especially after like you know rushing uh the alternate into into film festival submissions which like i will never ever do again because i feel like that movie could have played much bigger festivals than it did i don't know if that's actually true that's just what i believe if we had waited until the movie was completed and i i based based that upon like the fact that when we submitted the rough cut we got into like a handful and then when we submitted the final cut we got into like so many more (laughs) film festivals right but it's also the calendar right like the festivals that accepted you also i mean the time of year the genre anyway sorry i right but i'm just saying like we but but we should have waited like if we had waited a season like i think our results would have been so much better so like to my to the to with that in mind I think whatever this film needs to be the best it can be, like if it's five years, like it's so much better to take five years to make it right than to rush it out in a year or two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I would play the long game and just make it as cool as possible because if you really, really hold on to it and really give it love and, you know, take time, I think it would be better. And like, yeah, do you go back and reshoot some some practical effects? Like maybe you can do that, but like I think that would only be for very select specific specific parts. I think for the most part, it's better just to try to work in this the 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 visual effects realm because trying to cast back and trying to it just you know. But you could do that too. Like that's I think I think whatever whatever you need to do to make the movie the best possible, like take your time and do that thing. You know. I mean, it's like a perfect answer, and it's also like I don't really have anything to add. It's not, this is not my world, right? Like, I mean, I did special effects in in my past two projects, but I just, like, uh, I don't know. I'm no, I don't watch a movie (laughs) and, like, I'm not able to have the eyes that you have to determine whether it's really good special effects or or not, or, like, where did it come from (laughs) or what did they use? Like, my mind doesn't go there, right? So I have to rely on, like, the genius (laughs) of the people I work with. But I like, I like your answer a lot. I'm just thinking, you know, like I got donated visual effects on Speed of Life in exchange nice. for like a company credit. Yeah. And I think that there are worlds and we've talked about this before of like creative ways of compensating artists so that they feel like like that company really wanted to say that they had produced more work. And so by becoming a co-production with us and donating those effects, we each got something that we wanted. So I agree that there are like a lot of people who are willing to pull favors for indie productions if they get something that um, helps them progress in their careers in some way. Yeah. I think the only thing that I wanted, whatever, I always take issue with these questions, but it's like delivery to where? Like where is, it says like... Eric is like before before delivering it's like where are you delivering it to do you have a distribution (laughs) deal is this for festivals like what is the plan for this film is this a film you were hired on is this a film that you created and that always plays into my answer is like is this the labor of love film that you care about so much or is it this thing that you were hired to do and if you were hired to do it and then the producer dropped out and you really didn't have much to do with that drama 
that also plays into how much effort you're going to put into the rest of this film too. Yeah. Like did the product, did the other crew members kind of fuck up the politics of this film and then is going to reflect poorly on you that that's going to play into your answer too. Well, yeah. I mean, in that scenario, it's very different. Like if, if you're hitting a deadline from a delivery from a studio, or right. a production company or something then like there's probably not a lot that you can do like you're just gonna have to do whatever you're given but I, I was answering it from more of the like this is my movie and like I get control on when it goes to festivals or not you know yeah. but yeah I think in a lot of cases people will just be like yeah this is a low budget movie low budget visual effects there you go you know and you can fight it as much as you, you want you know <laughs> what else I gonna say damn I had something really funny to say it about your your keen eye for visual effects was it about that oh it was about a game i play when i watch movies and i'll be like okay 3d all 3d okay this is physical okay they shot it 3d shot at computer shot at computer and uh beth hates it she hates it (laughs) she drives me crazy we were watching spider-man homecoming and like the scene where they have the 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 boat rescue the ferry rescue and i was like that's real people that's all computers that's real computers computers real and computers computers all real computers but i do go in but i do like when i see a crowd i look to see if there's a repeated individual right Ooh. if there's like patterns of people Ooh. that are copied that's a, and copied that's and a fun game yeah. i want to play that game i do that because i i'm a I'm a big stickler for background and crowd. Like I can't stand if you have a bad background actor or some really bad crowd work like that drives me nuts. One last thing that actually ties into the conversation. So I, the, one of the first movies I worked on was a Bollywood movie, a big budget Bollywood movie. And I actually mentioned it to, to, to Karan before we started recording. He's like, oh, yeah, was it My Name is Khan? I was like, yeah, that's the one I worked on because it's like a famous movie in India. No one cares in America. But there was a scene where they were recreating a presidential speech at the city hall in Sacramento. And they they had like, God, what did they have? I think they had 200 extras, maybe maybe three something like that but they wanted it to look like a humongous crowd of people like thousands of people and so what the ad team did was they had like three sections of this lawn and they crammed all three 300 200 whatever is in one section shot it and then they moved all the 300 people they moved them around strategically and then they shot that and then they took the other and they moved them around strategically and then they shot that and then they they, they took the same 200 300 people to make it look like there was almost a thousand people People. I mean, as long as they and change outfits, shot. I'm down for that. Like, it was it's, crazy. It's like the kid who's wearing the red baseball cap who shows like in four different places in a crowd that drives me absolutely bonkers. Right. <laughs> I think what they did was they like they, they changed tops and, and move hats around. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Very kind of supportive crazy. of that. But yeah. What do you guys think of this question? What would you do? We'd love to hear your answer. And the way that you can do that is you can send us an email. Uh, with your thoughts or any random question, any kind of comment or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be amazing. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They are an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, and of course, their top 25 writers list featuring their best writers. Head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. 
Thanks to Karan Bulani for coming on the show. Thanks to Lindsay Kolker for setting this up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimer, for doing the editing. Thanks to Eric for doing the interview with me. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And then again, thanks to producer Eric Toms for being awesome. It's two thanks this time. Also, thanks to you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. All right, well, we're here with Karan Bulani, the director of Thank You for Coming, which premiered at the TIFF uh, Film Festival. Um, I should say that again, TIFF Film Festival. Thank you for coming. It sounds quite funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>